This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, in a moment, going to be joined by my co-host, uh, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy, and also uh, joining us on the podcast today, wrestling historian Evan Ginsberg. And we're going to have Evan on to talk about the life and times of Bruno San Martino. Of course, the uh, sad news coming on Wednesday of the passing of Bruno at the age of 82. Uh, you don't need me to tell you how important a figure uh, he was for pro wrestling and for pro wrestling magazines. And uh, Evan, uh, having gone to, to a lot of uh, shows featuring San Martino back in the day in Madison Square Garden, uh, had a lot to say. Uh, and he's going to be joining us in just a moment um, for a uh, an entire episode dedicated to the life and times of Bruno San Martino. Um, and before we get to that, uh, let me just tell you real quick about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, magazine. It is the annual report cards issue uh, featuring uh, a bunch of A-plus students on the cover. Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles, Asuka, Katsuko Okada. And uh, inside, Dan Murphy puts together uh, every year this fantastic uh, report card looking at uh, the careers, uh, the years uh, that uh, many of the top stars in wrestling uh, have had. Um, everybody who from an A student all the way down to uh, a few Fs. Uh, so you'll definitely want to check that out. Lots more in this issue as well. My hot seat interview with Alexa Bliss. Uh, what else is in here? Let me get to the contents page. Um, we got a feature on Kurt Hawkins about his own streak, not a streak that you would want, his losing streak, uh, a feature I put together about Austin Aries returning to Impact Wrestling and what it would mean, uh, what it could mean for the Impact brand, um, a extensive, uh, largely photo feature on the Raw 25th anniversary with a lot of photos um, never seen anywhere, and uh, what else? Uh, Dan put together our annual WrestleMania feature uh, looking at stars that you uh, may not have uh, remembered wrestled at WrestleMania and some uh, top stars in the business who never wrestled at, at WrestleMania. And ironically, one of the names that comes up here is uh, Bruno San Martino, who did in fact get to wrestle at one WrestleMania, WrestleMania two, being part of the uh, the Battle Royal. Uh, and lots more. Uh, all our uh, columns from our uh, talented writers, uh, all the regular features, uh, Stu's from the desk of um, column. So what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com. You can pick up the one issue. You can subscribe. The longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings, and you won't miss any of our uh, big signature issues. A few of them coming up. Um, just talking to Dan. Before long, we're getting working on the uh, the PWI 500. It's, it's going to be that time of the year again. So uh, to make sure you don't miss that and, and any uh, of our other issues, Again, the thing to do is go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Uh, please follow us on our various social media platforms at Official PWI on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Find us there. Uh, drop us a line here, PWI Podcast at outlook.com. Uh, and uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can go to iTunes and find the PWI Podcast. Go through our archives. We've been doing this for, I think, three years and change now. Uh, so go back and, and uh, check out a lot of uh, the interviews we've had from many top stars in the business. 
definitely worth checking out. All right, uh, joined right now by my co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Doing and, well. And uh, also on the line, uh, an old friend of mine, one of my, my oldest friends uh, in wrestling. He is a pretty noted uh, wrestling historian, uh, host of The Evan Ginsberg Show on VillageConnectionRadio.com, and uh, was an associate producer on The Wrestler. Um, and considering the subject matter, I absolutely uh, wanted to get him on. Uh, Evan Ginsberg, how are you, Evan? Uh, I would say good ordinarily, but it's not every day your childhood hero dies. So yeah, uh, yeah, and I know it's been a rough and, couple of weeks considering. Yeah, uh, yeah, we lost Johnny, Johnny Valiant Valley, as yeah. well. Johnny Valiant was a very close personal friend, and that was two weeks ago. And ironically, uh, they were neighbors in Pittsburgh, Bruno yeah. and Johnny. And J- Johnny knocked on Bruno's door um, and said, "I want to become a pro wrestler." And uh, next thing you know, years later, they're main eventing the garden together. So uh, life has some strange twists and turns. A huge loss, and uh, in in part because um, I I think it's fair to say, Dan, you and I were were kind of a generation after uh, Bruno San Martino's uh, real heyday. We wanted to get you on. Because uh, uh, Evan, not only have have you studied this, but you lived it. You were you were part of that scene in the '60s and '70s where um, Bruno San Martino really owned um, the New York market, and in doing so, uh, the, the the biggest market of wrestling uh, in the country. You know, when it's been said for forever, when you talk about the uh, Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling, Bruno San Martino has got to be on it. Um, so. Let me ask you uh, uh, first, Dan. Uh, the, the name Bruno San Martino. What what does it represent? What do you think his place in wrestling history should be? Well, it's it's interesting because, um, as you said, you know, I you know I got into wrestling when I was a kid in in the mid '80s, and Bruno was still around. It was before he had left uh, the WWF. He was transitioning out of the ring. Uh, still wrestling occasionally. Uh, his son, David Sammartino was just getting in and, uh, Bruno was kind of being relegated to the, the announce table at the time before he left and, and had, you know, three decades of, of bad blood with the WWF or WWE then, uh, which thankfully was, was finally put under the bridge, um, you know, a few years back. Uh, but he was really the, the vanguard of that generation of that time period of really, you know, in all the time, the 20-something years that I've been uh, writing for PWI and, and meeting people, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about Bruno. I mean, he's a guy, and, and this is a business where you hear something bad about just about everybody. Um, Bruno just had this reputation of being a man of his word and a gentleman and uh, a caring family man and a good person. And uh, in a lot of ways, he was just an incredible ambassador for pro wrestling uh, he was the, the cornerstone of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, um, and, and he really kind of transcended the, the business or the sport, whatever you want to call it at the time. Uh, the sport changed uh, pretty dramatically um, you know, from, from then until now, but Bruno never really did. And that's the thing when you talk about putting him on the, the, Mount, uh, the, the Mount Rushmore, I was going to say Mount Everest, on the Mount Rushmore. Um, Pro wrestling today is so different. I don't even know if Bruno would be on that mm-hmm. because what he represented is not what wrestling is anymore. Uh, but he is that kind of, uh, he, he's almost like an American hero. He, he's a Babe Ruth. He's, he's larger than life. 
And, um, you know, I mean, Evan obviously knew him uh, better and, and was around for a lot more of his matches and could see more, but that's uh, how I've always kind of seen Bruno and, and his kind of legacy. And I think it's a good point you made that since uh, the era changed so much, and I think really uh, a beginning right after Bruno's run. So I think uh, fans and even some older fans who talk about the the biggest names, um, and let's just narrow it down into uh, WWE, the history of WWE slash WWF slash WWF. You hear Hulk Hogan, you hear uh, The Rock, you hear uh, Steve Austin. Uh, I think more recently, and deservedly so, you hear John Cena. Not everybody brings up Bruno San Martino. I think a lot of fans just weren't around for it. And what they see of it and what they know of it just looks so different and and like it was a different time in a, a different world. Uh, uh, Evan, having lived through all of those um, eras and and being able to compare them, how does... Uh, Bruno Brank. I mean, how was his popula- popularity uh, different, or how did it match up with with some of those other stars that followed him? Huh. When you went to see Bruno Sammartino at the Garden, and I was there virtually every month, his entire second reign, um, you you saw fans who palpably. <laughs> Love this person, love this person. And when he walked down the aisle without one note of blaring entrance music or pyro or whatever the case may be, just a guy in a pair of tights, the building would vibrate. The building would vibrate. That's the kind of charisma and excitement that he generated. And when you have younger fans, and I'm, you know, I'm not making blanket statements whatsoever, but when they go, oh, you know, he wasn't a great worker, quote unquote, that wasn't the point. Okay, we understand he wasn't Luthez, he wasn't Nick Bockwinkle, <laughs> well, he wasn't Jack Briscoe, you know, as a technician. Yeah, the point was he was so charismatic that year after year after year, his first reign was eight years. His second reign was was three and a half, or, uh, pretty much. And he, the only reason he left was he, his body was shot. He he was in physical pain, and he, you know. It's like apples and oranges when somebody like looks at a video of Bruno and goes, "I don't get it." Yeah, that you didn't get it because you weren't there. Mm-hmm. You you didn't feel. I I saw Bruno and uh, 1974. They had Freddie Blassie, who was in his 50s at the time. Freddie and Nikolai against Bruno and Strongbow, and this was not a technical masterpiece by any means, but. You know, I could tell you the date of this match 44 years later because the building was was literally shaking. People were so excited. And this is what fans today really don't grasp. And when he lost Ivan Koloff, the fans were crying. They were literally crying. I mean, they sat there silent like a pin dropped and people today wouldn't understand this because the title changed you know, on a whim to pop a rating on a Monday night. And, you know, uh, you'll have somebody with 12 title, you know, 12 heavyweight 
title runs, and you couldn't name you know one match because it's, it's it's pretty much meaningless. I couldn't I couldn't sit here and tell you a Randy Orton title match or a John Cena title match. All I remember is those guys wrestled each other three hundred times, you know. Yeah. But nothing it's, nothing nothing sticks in my mind, you know. Yeah, it's funny, Evan. You mentioned you mentioned that Ivan Koloff win. And and I've read about that. I, I, I didn't wasn't there live, but I've always heard that that silence, that that absolute shock of the fans, and that was my initial thought when uh, Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker mm-hmm. at WrestleMania and ended the streak. Uh, that our initial reaction is the closest thing that I can reference that felt like that. Where in the immediate moments afterwards, people were just stunned. Um, did you see that match? And, and does that? Is that anything like what the Ivan Koloff win was like in your experience? I would say the fans cared about The Undertaker. They cared about the streak. It meant something to them. It had emotional resonance. Uh, The only other thing I could think of in the past few years was Daniel Bryan being such an underdog and winning the title eventually. I I couldn't name a half dozen things that the fans really cared about enough to sit there stunned or crying, you know, unless you're a four-year-old kid, of course. But, yeah. Um, it's, it's a different world, and there's pluses and minuses on both ends. A, a Bruno couldn't dream of doing what a Daniel Bryan does in a ring, you know, or, or, or what a lot of these guys are doing. But, yeah, what, what, when I would see Bruno and Billy Graham, for example, um, it was it was meat and potatoes. They do test the strength. Uh, Billy Graham would choke them. You know, uh, the ref wouldn't see the dastardly things that that Billy was doing to Bruno. But there was a match where where Billy walked out of the walked. He made like he was quitting. Goes back to the dressing room. The referee was Gorilla Monsoon. Monsoon walks back to the dressing room. Next thing you know, Billy's on Monsoon's shoulders being carried into the ring and dumped the roar, the roar of that crowd at Madison Square Garden. And I'm talking 1977 or 8. I mean, it's unbelievable. I can hear that in my head today. I was thinking about that today, 40 years later. I couldn't tell you what was on Raw Monday night, you know? (laughs) That's pretty good, right? It's interesting that you you bring up uh, uh, Daniel Bryan because – I think modern fans would would look at the two and not see a lot of similarities. But um, from what I understand uh, about Bruno's run, and again, kind of being at least a generation removed from it, um, when you talk about the charisma that Bruno had, and and I think uh, more modern fans thinking of charisma along the lines of uh, The Rock with, with the promos or... Uh, the flashy outfits or really good looking or really great physique or entrance music or, or anything like that. Uh, the charisma that you're talking about with Bruno was different. And I think um, I'm, there's a comparison to be made with Daniel Bryan because I think similar to Daniel Bryan, it's not any of those things. It's just kind of a relatability, right? It was um, a, a real kind of affection that transcends all the flash and again the entrance music or the promo ability or anything like that it was that 
you know, I think you used the word. He really was a hero for these people. You know, more oh, absolutely. Yeah. You also have to understand it was a blue collar crowd back then. When I was a kid and Bruno was on top, tickets were three to six dollars. My dad was a taxi driver. Your dad would take you. You could afford to go. You know, today at Madison Square Garden, the WWE tickets are twenty-five to one hundred thirty-five dollars. So that it happens maybe four times a year instead of monthly because that becomes Junior's birthday present or graduation present or whatnot, Christmas present. It's what they always have the WWE Christmas time now because that's a Christmas present for the kiddies. You know, so it was a it was a blue collar thing, and you had the. Uh, the Italian strongman, you had the Puerto Rican champion, Pedro Morales, you had the Irish strongman, Ivan Putski, etc., so on. You, you had different heroes for a you know, working class you know, audience who believed. You know, we weren't smartened up then for the most part, you know? It's like we believed in, we believed in these guys. And I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm a, I'm a teenager, and uh, I just love wrestling with all my heart, and people are going, April 30th, 1977, I believe it was, um, Billy Graham's going to beat Bruno for the belt in Baltimore. And I go, excuse me? Like, what are you talking about? It's like the first time, like, I heard it was walked, okay? Mm-hmm. And then it happened, exactly like everybody said. And, you know, there was no internet back then. This was just the smart fans who, you know, communicated, corresponded, you know, the early, early sheets, et cetera, so on. And uh, it was very disillusioning. You know, it was like, oh, my God, you know, Bruno threw the belt, you know, to Billy Graham. <laughs> and, and then you just looked at it differently. You go, okay, it's still great. It's still great. We still love it. But my point being... It was a different audience back then. It wasn't a smartened up internet audience. A lot of those people sat there really believed. When Ivan Koloff won that belt, they were scared he was going to get murdered. Yeah. Okay. I was. I'm. I'm friends with Nikolai. Nikolai's a buddy of mine, and he told me, you know, even even in the mid '80s, that they, him and the Sheik, would go out in an ambulance hiding mm-hmm. in the middle of the show. There was so much heat. They were worried the fans would kill them. That was that was a different audience. Guys back then, Piper, even Moolah, you know, they would get attacked by the fans. It was so, you know, I don't think the, the younger fans today really get the whole picture. I mean, they loved Bruno. He was like a god to them, you know, myself included. And uh I was really saddened today. I was you know yeah. when you call you call when you called up today, you probably hear it in my voice. Mm-hmm. It's like not every day your childhood hero dies. This was my childhood hero. Bruno, Bruce Lee, James Brown. Every time one of these guys died, it hit me. It hit me. Because to me, they were larger than life. Yeah. Larger than life. And, uh, you know, and I would say to people, you know, until yesterday, you know, you'd see a picture of Bruno, and it's like the same body on an old man's oh, he head. Oh, great. This yeah. guy's going to live to 100. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, considering that, I, I was surprised. I mean, he wasn't a young man, obviously. Uh, but if you, but if you saw how he was up until recently, yeah. you, you know, he looked like a guy who had a lot of time left. I mean, just judging by his, his physical abilities, sharp as attack. Um, yeah, in great shape physically. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I it, again, you took an eighty-two-year-old man, so so not a spring. But you want to but... know something? What uh, what's not being taken into consideration? Even Killer Kowalski was a dear friend of mine. He, you know, uh, dear dear friend. He was only like eighty, and, and mm-hmm. he he was a vegan, and uh, you know, he everything he ate, he was careful. You know, being on the road, being on the road. You know, endlessly, decade after decade after decade, that takes a toll on people. You know, it's like dog years. I think yeah. not, not, not all that many wrestlers make 82, you know? It's, uh. Yeah, a lot, a lot are lucky to hit 52. You yeah. Know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, hitting 52 is actually an accomplishment. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Dan, Dan, let me talk to you. Uh, let me ask you about drawing power, right? I, I, I had the, the real honor of interviewing. Um, Bruno about nine years ago, and this is when he was still very much on the outs with with WWE, and it was less of an interview and more kind of a, a debate with with me. Um, uh, and I put the transcript up on on some some of my social media, uh, trying to encourage him to to uh, make amends with um, WWE at the time, and and he's pretty adamant that he he would not. And he was a guy who. Uh, pretty clearly was, uh, I don't know if bitter is the word, but he was not happy with the direction that wrestling took. And it, you got a sense that uh, he maybe felt that his legacy and his place in uh, wrestling was being taken for granted and also maybe somewhat in jeopardy. Um, and part of what, because of what we just talked about, I mean, you know, more modern generations not really appreciating how big uh, a star he was. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, what, one of the points he made was that there's never been uh, as big a draw as him. And I think he exaggerated a little. He said Hulk Hogan wasn't a draw and Steve Austin wasn't a draw. I think he, um, he was making an argument by the literal kind of definition of, of drawing fans to uh, the arenas. I mean, actually selling tickets, and and I talk, you know, I made the case that that the wrestling business model changed. So what it means to be a draw now is is different than uh, than because it's not just about selling tickets. But WWE still tours. I mean, as Evan touched on, they still come to Madison Square Garden. But the show is sold on. Um, I think you've called it uh, uh, the ice capades, right? I mean, it, it's uh, you come see WWE, the brand, and very often, and different than when I was a kid, and and even I think fifteen, twenty years ago, they rarely even like put out a card. It's just come see the stars of WWE. When when Bruno was uh, selling out Madison Square Garden. 187 times or whatever the number is, people were coming to see Bruno San Martino, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, I think that he was was the the draw on top. And and like you said about him having the the, um, falling out with WWE, you think of this guy who had that, again, to to use the comparison for, for fans who weren't there, but the Daniel Bryan type of connection with the audience where people saw him as a genuine real deal. So people really identified and everything else. And like Evan said to, to realize, you know, that, Hey, this business is a work. Like, you know, does that mean that Bruno's been lying to us or anything like that? I mean, he was very closely tied to, you know, it was a very passionate connection that people had with him. And when Vince McMahon started changing the direction of what pro wrestling was and going national and, and aiming lower and, trying to attract kids and making things cartoony and and doing things plus the rise of steroids, the rise of other things that were going on in the industry at that time. I think 
Bruno looked at it like, you know, he was the, he was the embodiment of the WWF and WWF at that time. And he didn't like what it was becoming. And he took a stand to, to kind of, you know, draw attention to that because he didn't want it to reflect badly on him and, and so forth. Um, like you said, I think it was a great thing that eventually that all got kind of, uh, worked out largely through the intervention of triple H who really kind of, um, made a, a push so that his legacy wouldn't be forgotten because back in that era, um, there wasn't a WWE hall of fame. Uh, if you weren't on in good terms with the company, they just pretended like you didn't exist. And it would be very easy for WWE to just, because the business has changed so much and a lot of fans have they they never I don't want to say they've forgotten about Bruno because they never discovered Bruno. And it would be very easy to kind of rewrite history and make it look like, yeah, the WWF began with Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and uh there was nothing before that. Yeah. Uh so it's very good that, that he was the draw that he was and that his legacy was recognized by WWE and, and it's out there before um you know, before it was lost to history. Yeah. Evan, do you think WWE's done enough um, over the last few years to really communicate that history to fans of what Bruno San Martino, and maybe not just Bruno San Martino, but that whole era. I mean, very often no, it feels like the story I, WWE I, 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 starts with Hulkamania, you know. Exactly, exactly. Let, let, let me just make a few quick points before I, I forget. Um, first of all, Bruno was a huge draw, but he didn't sell out that building every single night. I was there many times where it wasn't sold out. So that's also hype, much like, uh, you know, Andre was never slammed. Andre never lost. You know, that he would wrestle George Steele, and it wasn't always sold out, et cetera, so on. But that doesn't mean he wasn't a draw. He was, he was champion for eight years at one point. He was an unbelievable draw. But that also doesn't mean there wasn't strong undercard matches. There was always, uh, in the old school garden programs, this was very clearly the co-feature. There was always a tag team championship. There were other draws that helped Bruno. It, it takes two to tango. You know, and Bruno always had a top-name opponent. That second reign, Bruno's opponents were Ernie Ladd, superstar Billy Graham, Ivan Koloff, Waldo Von Erich, Spiros Arion, etc. So, and these were big, big names. And uh, it was a very, you know, Bruno versus a towering giant, David versus Goliath. Because, you know, Bruno was looked at as almost invincible, so you had to have some big monster heel against him. You know, he wouldn't work against a guy like Daniel Bryan, who was an average-sized guy, you know. So it was always the monster heel thing. But uh, as far as WWE today preserving history, you almost never see a Pedro Morales mentioned. No. Pedro Morales was champion for several years and one of the early intercontinental champions. And the intercontinental championship was basically there to help Backlund's draw. Backlund couldn't do what Bruno did. So the secondary champion, whether it was Pedro, Pat Patterson, uh, Morocco, who was amazing in his prime, a lot of times, you know, I was there to see Morocco more so than Backlund, depending on who Backlund was wrestling. So, uh, What yeah. do you think is behind that? I mean, is it that that really wasn't Vince McMahon Jr.'s WWF 
uh, that he he doesn't feel a closeness to it. He was announcing at the time. He was part of the company at the time. He was kind of the pitch man. Um, but maybe it wasn't his vision. Well, I think ego-wise, it's, um, you know, he, he created Hulkamania. Ganya had Hogan. Hogan was drawing for Ganya, but McMahon took him and, you know, built the machine around it. And, uh, you know, Hogan would come into the garden three or four times a year, even when they were running 12 times a year, because he wasn't the draw that Bruno was. So, you know, Bruno legitimately could say that, you know, Hogan wasn't the draw Bruno was, but Bruno didn't sell the T-shirts, the vitamins, the gimmicks that Hogan sold. So, you know, it's a different era and a different, uh, you know, I mean, WWWF was a regional territory that did quite, quite well and sold out many arenas many times, but it wasn't the billion-dollar, you know, publicly traded corporation that that McMahon turned it into. So I would say prior to Hogan and Piper, and I love Piper. Piper, you know, was amazing. Uh, it, it, he, I guess he didn't have the same pride in it because he didn't create it. His dad did and his grandfather did before that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was his baby, the the whole Hulkamania era and what, what they turned it into. Yeah. I, I've long thought that, you know, of, of all the wrestling feuds, and I don't mean, um, you know, worked feuds, but real, you know, uh, behind the scenes sort of business feuds, one of the most um, kind of tragic and pointless was, uh, I don't know if it's Vince McMahon or Bruno San Martino or, or WWE and Bruno San Martino, but you're talking a falling out that lasted whatever it did, 30 years. And so much of it, um, I think, was uh, built on um, some misunderstanding, some miscommunication, um, and and some disrespect. When I got to interview uh, Bruno uh, back in 2009, we were talking about the Hall of Fame, and this is when when the Hall of Fame had kind of become what it is now. And uh, you know, whatever you think about it, and and how legitimate it is, it it's a beautiful night for for these uh, wrestlers. A lot of old timers who come back and really get to kind of bask in the adoration of, of fans and that kind of thing. And um, I think I was just coming off of watching Ric Flair's Hall of Fame induction in in Orlando in two thousand eight, and uh, in talking to Bruno, I. I kind of trying to sell him on how uh what a special moment it would be for him and it w- it was uh, apparent to me that he had uh some real some real misconceptions of what uh, uh modern pro wrestling and WWE had become and there was a lot of kind of um uh hard feelings and and resentment and disgust and he talked about it being a bunch of a drug addicts and they're all out there and they're saying the f word and and um some of that i think was warranted from a different era when you're talking about the attitude era uh but even by 2009 i think that the product had changed quite a bit that there was uh i mean you don't have to like all of it but there was a lot to like and it had been cleaned up some and and again whatever you you think about it the the wellness uh policy has had some effect. And in general, the, the culture, I think, has changed and, and had changed even then from the the worst of the 90s and, and early uh, 2000s. But but clearly, he didn't realize that. 
Um, and that's why I, I always thought it was such a shame. Like if he, if he only knew, and also I think because of, uh, that, that generational divide, I don't think he could appreciate how many, uh, fans he still had, uh, even among younger fans who never saw him wrestled, but how many people really appreciated his contributions. And I knew that if he ever, um, uh, took, uh, that stage and thankfully not only did he get to do it, but he got to do it at, at Madison square garden, um, he'd be overwhelmed by the the affection and the appreciation. And uh, so I'm, again, I think it was one of the most sort of pointless uh, uh, grudges, and I'm, I'm really glad that, that it was resolved. That said, a lot of what he said was very legitimate. He said that, that I guess somewhere along the line, WWE and or, and or Vince McMahon did make an overture to him to join uh, the Hall of Fame, and what they offered him was $5,000. Which uh, I mean, I I could see him being insulted by. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, go, the go ahead. Is, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I mean, I, I, the money is is part of it. I mean, I, I don't know what the the going rate is for the Hall of Fame or anything like that. I mean, I think it should just be an honor to be enshrined rather than the the, the booking, you know, the, the the appearance fee. But yeah. Um, you're making a point on Bruno just right there. And I just lost it, but um, yeah, it's a shame because um, well, it's a shame that, that, that the, the bad blood lasted as long as it did. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my point on it. I'll, yeah. I'll defer to Evan. He's, he's here. <laughs> and, and just, just a point of, of clarity about um, the, the amount of money, uh, I do think that that $5,000 wouldn't necessarily have been all of it. And um, what I suggested to him maybe could be worked out, and I think ultimately was worked out, was a bigger deal to bring him back into the fold, maybe packaged with a DVD release, a book. And they, I think they did some of that. I think they, they ended up not going as far as maybe they uh, promised him or suggested to him. Maybe seeing that, you know, the reality is that, that there probably wasn't that much of a market for, for that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, this is a business and, you know, maybe they just didn't think they'd get the return on investment. But, you know, yeah. now with the network, um, something like that could have could have really worked. You wouldn't have to worry so much about selling DVDs. It could have just been another piece of program you put in the network and, you know, maybe that, that grabs a few, a few more subscribers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just remember my point before I lose it again. Uh, it, you're talking about how a Bruno, you know, obviously is such a big star in in New York, and possibly there was some thought of how much interest uh, is there in Bruno San Martino today. And you talked about what an ovation he would he would probably receive, and evidently, you know, later did receive uh, once he was inducted. Um, but I really think that we have to kind of give PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and the wrestling magazines a, a bit of credit for that too. I mean, Bruno was a cover guy, you know. Uh, cover person for the magazine for 12, 13 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on countless covers. He, he was, you know, that they, they were sold nationally, internationally, and even, you know, in territories where Bruno wasn't working and PWI had had such access to Bruno and, and promoted him so well through the years that it really kind of helped, you know, even if you were just getting into wrestling in the eighties, the when, when it started taking off and, and WWE's or WWS mythology of Hulkamania kind of being a starting point. Even if you just kind of dipped your toes in the water and discovered PWI at that time, you were still reading about Bruno San Martino. 
And I, I think, you know, it's a really cool thing that, that our magazine that we got to be a part of and, and are a part of um, really was, was able to kind of um, cement some of that history and, and spread his, his name and recognition out beyond the territory that he was working in before uh, the company really went national. Uh, so I think that there's a, a nice little link between our magazines and Bruno that should be um, kind of remembered. It's, it's, uh, it's a good thing to have. Yeah, when you're talking the the 70s and early 80s, which are really kind, of, and even in the 60s, uh, which was the the prime of Bruno's run, uh, Evan talked about it. I mean, this is obviously way pre-internet, and and magazines were um, how the word was spread. I mean, it was propaganda for pro wrestling, and uh, yeah, Bruno was the guy. Um, Evan, let me talk. Let me ask you about uh, uh, that feud and that 30 year. Uh, uh, falling out, did um, did did you see Bruno's? Uh, I don't want to say side of it, but but did you think he was right in standing his ground? I remember him using the words um, that that with me when I spoke to him that if he went back to WWE, he'd feel like a prostitute. I mean, that's how um, strongly he felt about it. Was there something to that? Absolutely. Um, as as a kid, when you went to uh, Madison Square Garden, it felt like a competitive event. The championships meant something. Um, it wasn't done tongue-in-cheek. In various stages throughout the, you know, the post-Hogan era, you know, WWE became a kiddie show. Then it became the Attitude Era uh, with, you know, strong language and even topless women on occasion. And, you know, and today it's just an absolute circus where on a three-hour roar, maybe you'll see 20 minutes of quality wrestling. So an old-school fan such as myself saw it pretty much like Bruno did, where you took something beautiful, something sportsmanlike, something that mattered to... Okay, you know, this show is about bad comedy and stilted promos and ridiculous angles and outlandish characters, and I just don't care for the most part, which again does not mean there's not some very, very good wrestling that's, you know, on occasion being offered in WWE. You have some, the, the talent roster itself in WWE today is as good as virtually any talent roster in the history of this business. It's just how they choose to use it. But my biggest, um, my biggest beef with, with a Vince McMahon is how about pensions and 401ks and health benefits for guys who sacrifice their bodies for you? You know, that's always been my point of contention more so than anything. But but hasn't that gotten better since Bruno's era? And I remember having this discussion with him as well because he, he made some of those uh, same points. And, um, look, it, it, it's far from perfect. But, but yeah, I mean, it took uh, a Bruno almost, you know, basically crippling himself before he could finally get that belt off of, of him. And it was at his choosing. He, As you said, he was broken down. He needed a break. They would have kept riding him uh, until the wheels fell off. I feel like, again, not a perfect. It's gotten a little better uh, or maybe even significantly better since then. And once again, he comes up, Daniel Bryan might be the testament to it, right? Daniel Bryan wanted to wrestle for a number of years, and it was WWE that wasn't allowing him. Now, how much of it is just 
um, you know, them them doing the morally right thing and how much of it was their own liability, legal liability. Um, uh, obviously, that was a big part of it. But Daniel Bryan, if he was in Bruno's era, would have been put out there until he killed himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> even Andre was working sure, yeah, basically, ba- basically yeah. crippled. And, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a brutal business and very few end well. And, uh, you know, I, I get tired of, oh, they all wasted it on wine, women, and song. And I go, that wasn't the case because I have friends who were legends, and some of them never broke 100,000 yeah. main eventing in the territories and, you know, paying for their family back at home while being on the road and paying their own road expenses. So it's a it's a brutal, exploitative business, and sure, it's better today, but it's far, far from ideal. And Bruno had some very valid points, and uh, you know, the Hall of Fame itself. You know, where's the hall? <laughs> and and where's the also, yeah, yeah, where, where's the physical hall, which is also a profitable enterprise for them, and. How come guys like Ray Stevens and Davy Boy Smith and uh, you know guys like that who clearly deserve to be in it? How come they're not in it? It's you know there's there's some questions of legitimacy there also. I've interviewed thousands and thousands of of I've done radio and TV and sheets for thirty years, not just wrestling. And uh, whenever you talk to an old school wrestler and you say, who is the greatest ever? Many of them, many of them, they'll mention Ray Stevens. Ivan Koloff will be in the top few. How are these guys not? Ivan Koloff headlined the Garden 13 times. How do you not have this man in the Hall of Fame? You know, it's so Bruno had some legitimate gripes. And uh, where Bruno, where Bruno... I, I look. I always try to be objective. You know, I, I I do radio myself, and Bruno would say to a Lou Albano, "How do you work for these people?" And, and, and Lou would be like, "I have to pay the bills, Bruno. You know, mm-hmm. I have to pay the bills." And and, and you know, you, you can't you can't like have a good and bad list like principals do in a public school. This teaches on the good list. This teaches on the bad list. You know. You, it's not. It's it's all very complicated. Bruno had a very, you know, very black and white way of looking at the world, and sometimes the truth is in the middle. And look, I'm not a big fan of Vince, but they they do a lot for charities and and such. There's a good side to them as well, and uh, you know, it's, it's all very complicated. Yeah, yeah, and and for me, wanting to see. Bruno back in the fold wasn't about uh, necessarily giving the WWE Hall of Fame the legitimacy that that it wanted or because, you know, we just saw it with with Jeff Jarrett. Very often, I I think those um, uh, olive branches that are extended by WWE to some of their past enemies are uh, uh, less about doing the right thing by them and more about kind of coming off as we were the bigger person in, in, in this. And, and maybe to some of some extent, some of that was in play with Bruno. But for me, I just knew that it would be special for Bruno to uh, be surrounded uh, not only by, by fans who really adored him, but by at, at that point, several generation uh, generations of wrestlers 
who adored him. And uh, just the other uh, night, I saw a promo on WWE Network for one of those table for threes that uh, I forget who was part of it, but Bruno was part of it and Randy Orton was part of it and somebody else. I don't know if it was Flair or somebody else. Um, but it was just, it, it was very cool to see Bruno San Martino, a star of, of 40, 50 years ago, sitting at a table with um, Randy Orton, very much one of the top stars of, of our generation of the last 20 years. And just seeing that kind of fraternal bond. And and I, it was cool for me to see Bruno um, realizing that, you know, maybe as much as it's changed, maybe it hasn't changed um, all that much. In Randy Orton, um, and obviously knowing his, his father and his grandfather, seeing uh, uh, a young man, not even that young a man anymore, but who respects the business, who works really hard, who who I I think get got a lot out of uh, the business the, the same as Bruno did, um, and and again I think it 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 was and Dan I know you've been a number uh, of these uh, cauliflower alley uh, um, conventions and that kind of thing. Um, would you see Bruno at those? And did did you get a sense that he still felt part of of all of this? I've been going to Cauliflower Alley for maybe eight years or so. I think I'm going in a week and a half for, for this year. Uh, and in fact, I'm actually doing a, a panel uh, seminar on the legacy of Fabulous Mula with mm-hmm. uh, some of the women who, who came up with her and, and trained her. Um, I've never seen, Bruno never attended any of the years that I went. Mm-hmm. I know he's gone in the past. Um, and, and that's the thing too. I mean, now CAC is like any organization, there's, there's a little bit of politics involved and, and Bruno, like, like Evan said, you know, he saw things in black and white and everything. And I don't know details one way or the other. I can kind of speculate on things, but, uh, you know, Bruno just didn't come to those, uh, at least not when I was there. I know he's attended them in the past. Uh, so he's, for me, he's, he's always seemed, there are certain wrestlers who always show up for these, uh, you know, um, Jerry Briscoe is, is one and Patterson and, and they're on behalf of WWE, but there are other people, some very well-known, some not as well-known, um, who will show up for these kind of conventions and reunions like cauliflower alley club. Uh, Bruno is just his own guy. I, I mean, I, I don't think that, I, I think he, he was part of the fraternity, but I, I don't think that the wrestling fraternity, you know, in my opinion, in my impression, I should say, um, it didn't mean as much as, as his family and his friends and his life in Pittsburgh. And, you know, he, he wasn't as visible and active as other people of his generation were at those types of events. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, obviously it's more than fine. I mean, that, that, that he was getting fulfillment from something outside of, of pro wrestling is, is great. And it's actually a model for, I think a lot of people who, who make too much of, of um, their lives in pro wrestling. Uh, But it, it would have um, bothered me um, if, you know, this day came five years ago, if he left this world not fully appreciating, um, you know, I I know that he knew he was a big star in the 60s and the 70s, but it would have been a shame if he didn't realize that he was still um, maybe a big star to be exaggerating, but still very much esteemed and respected and loved um, by by generations of fans, including modern fans. You know, I, I was in Madison Square Garden for his induction, and um, 
you know, probably most of the people around me were even younger than, than I was. They knew who Bruno San Martino was. They were on their feet for him. They knew that they were watching a, a historic, legendary uh, figure, one of the giants of, of the business. And I think that might have, you know, standing in front of a sold-out Madison Square Garden at, at, you know, close to 80 years old at the time, uh, getting a standing ovation, I, I I imagine that might have taken him a little bit by surprise that he still meant that much um, that that late in his in his life. Well, I just add one point that people tend to forget that even in the eighties, they would constantly bring Bruno back to main event buildings. Yeah, I that's about Bruno, what I saw of him. Yeah, was, was yeah, mid eighties. Bruno Randy in a Savage, cage match. Yeah, yeah, with. with Savage and Adonis mm-hmm. and Tito, the four of them were in a cage. That was like 86 or 87. He finally retired in 87. And basically what was happening was Vince was dangling a carrot, you know, we're going to push your kid. And they always brought Bruno back because Bruno was hoping David would get more of a push. And uh, it never quite worked out that way. But even, you know, until 87, this man was... You'd see him in the ring with Piper and, uh, you know, main eventing because he was still a big name and a big draw. So um, on a much reduced schedule, obviously, but still, I mean, and he, his and name he meant still something show that in the fire. You know, I, I just recently oh, saw yeah. it. Um, the I guess it was right after. Savage, and I'm sure you'll remember this, Dan, Savage injured Steamboat leading into WrestleMania three, and um, San Martino was working as a broadcaster, and they had him backstage, and I think he confronts a Macho Man, and Macho Man gets in his face, and as, as a kid, oh, this was... A piece of slime or something Oh, yeah, like how great was like, that? Because, yeah, I mean, I yeah. only really knew San Martino at that age as, you know, the kind of bland color uh, guy. Uh, on championship wrestling, whatever it was, but to see that that little uh, spark of of he totally got in in Savage's face, and yeah, he called him whatever disgusting piece of slime, and got really fired up. And for a minute, you were kind of transported back in time, and you got it. It's like, oh, that's what Bruno was all about. And um, at yeah, you know, it, in fact, I didn't realize it until I saw it today. Uh, somebody had posted online. I, I think it might have been the Blue Meaning, but. Uh, it was a match, um, Bruno challenging the honky tonk man for the intercontinental title in 1987. Really? I never saw so, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't go through to confirm it or anything, but I, I, I mean, I saw the picture of it and I mean, if you'd asked me, you know, had Bruno ever challenged for the IC title, wow. you know, let alone the honky tonk man, you know, I, I would never have thought it happened, but apparently, you know, before he was done, he was, uh, you know, he was still contending for titles in 87. He did a bunch of stuff with Piper in main events. Mm-hmm. Um, they they always brought him back whenever whenever they needed him. He he, you know, you know who? I just like to make one point. There's certain guys that history has been very unfair to for the simple reason there's not a lot of footage out there. Yeah. There's I mentioned Pedro Morales, uh, guys like John Tolos. You know Tolos. Well, they they had Blassie against Tolos before WrestleMania one, which was really the first pay-per-view match, and there's very little footage of him, and he was one of the greatest heels of all time, and the footage is just not there, and a lot of the younger fans, they wouldn't even know who John Tolos was. I saw him headline the Garden against Bruno. I mean, I was sitting there, and he was a big name from the 50s through the 70s, and um, Bruno, fortunately, 
the, the videos out there. It exists. I mean, you can watch Bruno matches endlessly. It's, a lot of it's pretty similar, you know, <laughs> punch, kick, you know, Superman comeback. But nonetheless, you know, the charisma was off the charts. And that's what people might not get from just watching the videos as I started the interview with. Um, now, Evan, yeah. a quick question. There's, if you look back in WWE history and WWF history, you had WWF kind of breaks away from the NWA and begins to recognize uh, Buddy Rogers as its champion and, and not Lufez because he's a bigger draw in the Northeast. And then because of uh, health issues, uh, maybe some more political to it as well, but they decided to put the strap on Bruno San Martino immediately. Um, what do you think from your perspective? Uh, because, I mean, that, that was that was the beginning of the WWF, and for the next seven and a half years, Bruno was your champion. But this is a, a promoter that, that broke away from the establishment because he wanted Buddy Rogers, and then to immediately go with this kind of unknown Italian kid. Um, Buddy Rogers is, like, flashy and, and, and you know... He was he was such a, a marquee kind of heel. Uh, what do you think uh, McMahon and and well McMahon really saw in Bruno at that point to decide you know let's change plans and just like put the well the, it was it was similar to Hogan in the AWA and Vince saying hey this guy is drawing Bruno was drawing big up in Canada he was they, they were getting tons and tons of Italian fans again. It was very blue-collar and uh, ethnic back in the day, and they were drawing big crowds in Canada, and they were coming out to see Bruno, and, and the promoters were well aware of it. They all communicated, and all of a sudden, they're like, wait a second, this kid's, you know, this kid could bench press, you know, God knows how many pounds, and the fans love him, and they're eating it up, and, you know, he's strong as a horse, and he has a great backstory that we can market, et cetera, so on, and they just saw him as a draw, and uh, let's, it's, it always comes down to money. Wrestling always comes down to selling tickets. Uh, back then, more so tickets. Today, more so merchandise. But uh, Do you think that, and, and obviously this has been a, a hot topic of debate with Roman Reigns, the, uh, the, the, the competing sort of philosophies of the promoter picking the star um, versus the fans picking the star, which was it there? Do you think with Bruno it was more organic that he was really kind of the people's choice, the fans' choice? Back then, you didn't you didn't have everybody body beautiful. You didn't have everybody uh, who could lift. You know, I, I forget he lifted some insane amount of weight. Uh, he bench pressed. I forget the number. And you know, the media picked up on this. It was kind of organic. They this this kid is a the fans love him. The, he, it's it's a natural organic thing. And the fans started coming out, particularly the Italian fans. And Vince picked up. Vince Senior picked up on this. And next thing you knew, um, he was the champion in New York. And you know, a, a, look again. He didn't sell out every month. That's a myth. But, but he drew for eight years. That's that's yeah. an amazing, amazing accomplishment, uh, which. You would not have today, obviously. It just doesn't exist in 2018. Yeah. But um, and th there was just something 
special about him. Um, the word is really, I mean, I hate to sound corny, but they loved him, loved him. Yeah. You know, except for Daniel Bryan, and I can't think of too many others where there's a, an actual love, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, this guy's colorful, this guy has a great gimmick, this guy's over. No, they loved Bruno. <laughs> you know, he was one of them. He was, the word is hero, hero, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think it's well said, and, and right, I mean, there have been stars who have been super, super over when you talk about the John Cena's and the Steve Austin's and, and the Rock's, but when you talk about, you know, and it's kind of a, a corny word, but I think it is the right word, love, it's different, right? It It, it, it is, um, and you saw it when Daniel Bryan um, announced his retirement, you know, fans crying in, in the audience, I don't know how often you'd see that kind of thing. And how excited they were um, when when he came back. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that you know that that's one of my big takeaways from this conversation. That you know maybe Daniel Bryan is kind of the modern day uh, Bruno San Martino uh, of all people. To a degree, absolutely. Yeah. And the the thing is, I mean, look, I'm not a trained psychologist or psychiatrist, but when Bruno was getting kicked by an Ernie Ladd, by a Billy Graham, by somebody twice his size. That was the bully kicking you as a kid. That was the bully that, that was taking your lunch money. That was the bully that was bothering you at school or whatnot. And then, you know, after minutes and minutes, I mean, Hogan perfected this with the Superman comeback, but it was kind of cartoonish the way he did it. But Bruno's felt real. You know, all of a sudden, he'd somehow, somehow get up. And the fans would roar. The building would vibrate. It was like, it was like you were winning. You were winning. You you were coming back. And when he would win the match, it was, it was, you could like it was like an outpouring of love in that building. Yeah. And 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 that's the best way I could explain it. And it's hard to reproduce that today. Yeah. It's like it's it's just not the same. And it may never be the same, but. The closest thing to it was Daniel Bryan. Going forward now, you know, really we're talking Monday night. What do you expect to see and um, what do you think you'll see? And I'll just quickly mention that on NXT tonight, there was the graphic before um, the the show. But I, I expect they'll do much more than that. I would hope they would do much more than that come Monday. Well, I would think down the road... Um, I'm told a million people watched the uh, Andre documentary, which I had mixed emotions about, but uh, I thought all in all it was a quality film. A million people watched it. Bruno had an amazing story. They were hiding from the Nazis mm -hmm. in the mountains, and, you know, he, he was starving, and, you know, he came to America, and he built himself up old school in the gym, you know, at the YMCA in Pittsburgh, and... You know, it's an amazing, amazing story. He met the Pope, Frank Sinatra, et cetera, so on. Um, I think eventually it's going to be a great film, and they'd be foolish to say, oh, you know, that was decades ago. Because, you know, Andre, Andre was basically old news, too, at this point. So there's, there's an audience for it. Um, and I think, I think you could tap into that. And, of course, you know, it, it bothers me terribly when a wrestler that I loved passes and they made money for WWE and, and, and they're not even mentioned on Raw or SmackDown. You know, not always. 
sometimes they they do them right, but uh, there's been many times where I go, how did they not mention Waldo von Erich? I saw Waldo von Erich headline the Garden time and time again against Bruno. How do you not mention that? You know, how do you not mention John Tolis who? you know, sold out many times for them uh, around the horn, you know. So yeah. they, they're very selective in who they remember, who they care to remember. Um, but Bruno, I think, I think would benefit them. I think it would generate publicity and there would be an audience. D- Dan, what would be appropriate on Monday? Well, on Monday, um, I, I, a documentary would be fantastic down the road. But again, the Andre one wasn't done by WWE. I don't know who would pick up the ball and, and really kind of spearhead that project um, or, or if they have the resources to get it done. But uh, for, for Monday, uh, certainly what I would expect, and I'd be extremely disappointed, and I think a lot of people would be if this didn't happen, uh, you got to begin the show with the 10 bell salute with the full roster outside, um, you know, on the ramp. Mm. Um, and then show the the um, video, the the Hall of Fame highlights or the Hall of Fame video that they did on him, and some match um, highlights. Yeah, yeah, I mean that would be ideal if, if they could do that. I mean, but it, at the very least, give the ten bell salute and show the video. And and I mean, it's what would be terrific, and it would actually make a three hour Raw worth watching. Um, is, is to break up Raw a little bit and say this episode of Raw is in in memory of Bruno Sammartino. Begin it that way. And throughout the show, show a little highlight, like a little interview clip, a little match highlight, something. And I mean, they've got all the archival footage and it'll, it would turn people onto the network. You know, you're watching this on raw and say, Oh wow, this is, this is kind of neat. Maybe I can dig around a little bit and find some of this archival stuff there. Um, I mean, that would be terrific, but, but you know, at the very least, I, I think a 10 bell salute and the video package. I'm not counting on it. I mean, if there is, um, something of a model for what I expect them to do. Um, maybe we saw it with Jimmy Snuka last year. And, you know, obviously that was controversial how far they went um, for, for all kind of, kinds of reasons. But I think some of what you're describing we saw then where I think they cut in a couple times during the show. They had um, kind of a, a longer form music video that was uh, a cut up with tweets and from wrestlers and and mcmahons and personal messages that were recorded i think we might see something um like that i would hope i mean if if and this is no slight against uh jimmy snooker but if he got it absolutely bruno should get it but there's part of me i'm not counting on on everybody on the ramp um no i don't see them doing that at all i uh but they've got to at least go as far as they went with Jimmy Snuka, I would think. And uh, certainly I think it would be appropriate to go a good deal further. I mean, you're talking one of maybe three to five people who are the absolute cornerstones um, of of that company. And you can make an argument is the single uh, most important of all of those in part because he he predated all of them, and he was. He I was asked you a first. question. What did they What did they do for Johnny Valiant last Monday? I didn't watch. Did they I do anything? I don't know. I think they might have had the um, the the graphic before the show. I'm pretty okay. sure they did, but that's as much as they did. Um, but for you know, for a, a, a Jimmy Snuka, for I'm trying to think who else. Bobby Heenan. They did good by Piper. They did good Piper, by Heenan. Heenan yeah. yeah, they they did a little bit more, but I really, I mean, I think. On 
uh, Dan's point, it feels like maybe they should go a little further with Bruno. Um, but in some ways, he resonates, or at least they might think that he resonates less with modern fans uh, than than all of those, than Snuka, than Heenan, than Piper, because those three um, at, at least had their runs um, extend into that rock and yeah. wrestling 80s, and Bruno right. really didn't. So it, it's really a, a different time and a time that they don't, they don't really talk about. They don't um, look back on. It's just kind of this forgotten chapter. Well, um, I think I think it's to their disadvantage because I'm not a hundred years old, and I have um, my peers are always like, "Well, I would get the uh, network, but they don't have much of the old school stuff, so they're not fully tapping into." They've added an audience. some stuff lately. They they added uh, just recently. Uh, what was the name of the show? All Star Wrestling or Champ? But basically, what was yeah. their A show um, through the seventies and, and early eighties? Including but a good deal of Bruno stuff. Yeah, middle aged folk, uh, you know, like myself, they'll always say, "I want to see more of the old school house shows from Philly and Boston Gardens, etc." So on, and they don't seem too big on that. Yeah. And uh, that's, some a, of that that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, some, but but not not enough to motivate somebody to spend 120 a year if that's what they're really looking for. And, yeah, especially uh, when you could find more of it, I think, on YouTube. Than, YouTube, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Free, so. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys. We're already uh, at about a, an hour here, and I'm sure, you know, given the subject matter, we can go several more hours. Um, but, you know, suffice to say, you know, we lost a, a legend, a true giant um, of the sport, as Dan mentioned, somebody who was incredibly rest, uh, important for us in the wrestling magazine business. Um, so certainly uh, on behalf of PWI, we extend our condolences, our prayers to uh, the San Martino family and our thanks for his contributions over the uh, the last 50 uh, plus years. Um, Can I do a very quick plug? Absolutely. I was about to ask you that. Thank you. Um if you love old school, we have a full-length documentary called 350 Days, which will be out this year. We've worked on it for five years. The stars are Bret Hart, superstar Billy Graham. Uh, we also have Tito Santana, Greg Valentine, Bill Eady, etc. so on. There's three, Stan Hansen, there's three dozen legends in this film, and they talk about being on the road 350 days a year. The toll on your mind, body, marriage, you know, relationships with your kids. It's a serious documentary, and I just want people to know about it because we've worked very hard on it for five years. I was an associate producer on The Wrestler as well, so this is a quality film, and uh, seek it out, folks. It's coming very shortly. We'll have some major announcements. How will be people be able to check it out? Is that information not out yet? Uh, it's not out yet. We have to sign the ink on the contracts but within the next few weeks we will be announcing this so uh we just want to let people know and can people follow you <clears throat> on on social media maybe to to stay up to date on some of the stuff sure um we have the evan ginsburg show sundays 11 a.m at villageconnectionradio.com and uh you can find me on facebook i have uh, evan ginsburg's old school wrestling memories uh uh, page as well, so you could check that out. Evan Ginsburg, G I N Z B U R G, and uh, that's Evan Ginsburg's old school wrestling memories. And uh, we we will certainly be talking a lot about Bruno today, yeah. and uh, lovingly, 
I, I'm, I'm telling you, I was very sad today. Yeah. I, was, I really took it hard. It's like a piece of your... You, you see, the one thing that we didn't mention, and I know you're running out of time. That's fine. Look, you, you, you went to wrestling with your dad. You went to yeah. wrestling with Absolutely. your grandpa. And they're gone. They're gone. And it's like a piece of your life. And my dad loved Bruno, and he's been gone a long time. And it just... It's a piece of you. Bruno was a piece of my life. You know, even though he wasn't a... Johnny Valiant was a personal friend. I, I was devastated. But Bruno was not a personal friend, but it was a chunk of my childhood. And it's like you lost that today. No, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of likened to when, when the Ultimate Warrior died. And people who know me knew I was a huge Warrior fan back in the day. And I think there's generally more affection for, for Bruno in, in the wrestling world. Um then well maybe that's not totally true that 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 might be a generational thing uh as well but but yeah when warrior oh. died I, I you know it brings you back to Absolutely. being a kid and going Absolutely. to uh shows with with my dad uh, some of the first shows i went was to to go see the warrior number warrior and carrie von eric versus mr perfect and rick rude in uh, august of 1990 at nasa coliseum um, so, uh, yeah. And, uh, on a, on a similar note, my dad was, was not, uh, a big wrestling fan. Um, but he did it for I you. was, and he, uh, when he was younger, before I was born, would go to the matches to see Bruno San Martino. So that was one kind of, you know, he, he wasn't a huge fan, uh, later when I was a fan, but he'd always talk about how when he would go to see Bruno on Monday nights, he would say at Madison Square Garden. So that's right. Uh, yeah. And and there was this one thing we didn't address whatsoever, and I could do it in thirty seconds. Bruno would be outside the garden after the show in a suit, looking like a champion, signing autographs for everybody. Yeah, super gracious. Signing and... autographs. Yeah. You know, shaking hands, having a kind word for everybody. Oh, thank you. Very, very gracious. Mm -hmm. A real champion, a true champion. And, you know, he wasn't sitting at a table, you know, selling autographs for 50 bucks, you know. It, 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 and that meant something also because as a kid, there were, there were faces who wouldn't sign, yeah. who wouldn't sign, you know, and Bruno did. And, you know, he carried himself as a champion. And that was real. That was real. You, yeah. You see? When, yeah. when I got to talk to him the, the, the one time, I was writing an obituary for uh, Lou Albano and uh, was hoping to get like a statement or something from, from Bruno. And I think I reached out to his attorney. And um, I, I forget exactly how I went, but I think he said, oh, I'll have Bruno give you a call or something. And I'm like, sure, he will. And minutes later, there's Bruno on the phone with me. And we talked for maybe an hour <laughs> Or, or more, maybe 90 minutes. And uh, I mean, yeah, what a thrill. Uh, and couldn't have been nicer, more gracious, uh, just uh, absolutely an honor. So, um, Dan, thank you for taking the time. Uh, you, you mentioned coming uh, the the Caliphate Rally Club and um, the, the seminar you're going to hold there. Can, can you talk a bit more about that and, and where can fans get information about that? Yeah, it's the yeah, Cauliflower Alley Club website. I believe it's cauliflowerallyclub.org, I believe. But if you Google Cauliflower Alley Club, uh, all of the information's up there. Again, it's a, a fundraising and, and uh, fraternal organization and reunion. It's, it's a really good cause. It's a good group of people. I've been involved for the past seven or eight years. And uh, this year, I'm going to be lucky enough. I was going to be doing a seminar, a Q&A with uh, Dick the Destroyer Buyer. 
Uh, the destroyer has to go through some surgery, so he's not going to be able to make the trip this year. Uh, so we, you know, we had a, a missing seminar, and I, I came up with the idea in light of WWE naming the Women's Battle Royal after Moolah and then kind of backing away from that, uh, really doing a, uh, a conversation about what Moolah's true legacy is. And uh, I put together a nice panel of women who knew her or were trained with her or worked with her. Uh, it's been controversial, uh, to say the least. I've gotten literally hundreds of messages, pro and con and everything else, and uh, uh, it's going to be something. So uh, I'm excited about it, and uh, I'll be doing that on, I believe it is May 2nd, uh, the Tuesday of that week at the Cauliflower Rally Club. Wow, so it sounds like uh, a can't miss for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it should be good. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Appreciate uh, everybody listening and following along. And uh, we will be back pretty soon. Thanks. 